just a couple minutes, we're going to get into God's Word. Hebrews chapter 12 is where we're going to be reading today. Hebrews chapter 12. Before I dive into this, let me just kind of set this up. Most of you know this, but for those of you who might not, in the New Testament, there are a lot of books of the Bible that are actually letters. Letters are written to individuals, to a church, or to the church in general. We're going to be reading from Hebrews today, which is one of those letters. And here's why I say this. The Bible, as we read it, is separated into chapters and verses. It was done by translators to make it easy to find references. So in other words, if you were reading one of these letters in the New Testament, the way it was written, you wouldn't have chapters and verses. It would just all flow together in paragraphs as we would write a letter. So oftentimes, for example, if you were to take five people in this room and have them take any of those letters and put them in chapters and verses, every one of them would look different. Because we would see it a little differently. Here's why I say this. We're going to read from Hebrews chapter 12. But Hebrews 12, to really understand it, it shouldn't be separated from what happens in Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is what we call faith's hall of fame. There's all kinds of people listed in there as we're giving teachings on faith. And you have this long list of faith heroes. And then it goes right into chapter 12. And chapter 12 tells us how we can become people of great faith. Now, for example, in in Hebrews 11, it talks about Abraham and his faith. Talks about Noah, Joseph, Moses, David, and several others. And all of these people not only believed great things, but by faith, they did great things. So when you get into chapter 12 of Hebrews, it begins to tell us, how we can be great people of faith and not just believe great things, but actually do great things for God. So before I start to read from Hebrews 12, let me set this up today. When I was a kid, my dad used to love to watch boxing on television. He used to love to watch it. So I grew up on, you know, Friday nights, Saturday nights. I used to have boxing on TV when I was a little kid. And and so we watched a lot of boxing because we had one TV. And when dad came home from work, it was his TV, not the kids' TV, unlike it is today. You know, kids now have their own iPad and they go do their own thing. We had one TV, so we watched boxing. And one of the things that I saw over and over again, and, and you know, boxing, I don't think, is really as big a sport as it used to be because MMA has taken a huge chunk of the audience i mean who wants to see two guys dance around for 45 minutes or an hour and throw jabs when you can see two guys beating the daylights out of each other with you know blood going everywhere so anyway one of the things that would commonly happen when you were watching boxing these guys would be trading below and one of the guys would get nailed with a big punch or a combination of punches and he would fall to the ground and when he did the referee would send his opponent to the other corner and he would step in and start counting one two Three, and if he got to 10 before the guy got up, it was considered a knockout and the fight was over. But if the guy collected himself and got back to his feet, the fight would go on. So what they would say was he was knocked down, but he was not knocked out. And so today what I want to talk to you about is being down, but not giving up and being out. You see, 
Everybody in life knows what it is to get knocked down. We all know what it is to run into circumstances that we think are bigger than we are or get blindsided by something and we get knocked to the ground and we wonder, what in the world just hit me? It's one thing to get knocked down, but it takes courage and it takes faith to get back on your feet and then move forward. And in life, if I were to ask today, I think every adult here would say, oh yeah, I know what it is to get knocked down. The question is, do you know how to get back on your feet and get back in the fight. Now, for believers, those of us who are following Christ, life comes with pressures, with challenges, with battles. Everybody faces them. Now, just from Scripture alone, let me give you four things real quick. Temptation. Temptation is a battle. And everybody knows what it is to go through temptation. And sometimes we know what it is to deal with failure in those temptations. A second would be sifting. Jesus told Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I'm praying that your faith won't fail. Everybody knows what it is to have the enemy attack us, trying to destroy our trust in God. A third, it would be purging. When God begins to work to convince us that there are things in our lives that need to be taken out so that we can move forward and be healthy and strong in him. It's a purging process. And then the fourth is probably my favorite to talk about. And for the sake of not offending anybody, I call it the trial of consequences. Now, to you, I say the trial of consequences. When I'm talking to myself, I call it the trial of stupidity. Anybody ever made stupid mistakes that you wish you hadn't made? And then later on, you deal with the consequences of those decisions. Or maybe you are affected by the consequences of somebody else's actions or decisions. You see, life is filled with all kinds of battles and challenges. But if we're not aware of what's going on around us, our challenges can create this residue that sticks to us. It develops bad habits, bad tendencies, patterns of doubt, things that can derail our faith and really slow our spiritual growth and eventually damage our walk with God. In our society today... It seems more and more we are encouraged to grab the label of victim. Society all around us encourages us. Be victims. Be hurt. Be angry. Be upset. Carry this thing like a badge of honor that we are victims. Wear the label. But God in his word encourages us to rise above the attacks and live above it. To leave it behind and move forward as victors, not victims. And we do this by learning to trust God and live by faith. You know, I believe our lives are not defined by the size of our challenges we face. But life should be defined by the size of our response to those challenges. Will I trust God or will I do something different? Let's get into Hebrews 12. I want to show you here three instructions that we find in Hebrews 12. Now, the book of Hebrews, the letter, we, we don't know for sure who wrote it. There are opinions, but we don't absolutely know who wrote it. But I want you to notice what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, verse 1. On the tail end of all these heroes of faith and the great things they did, now he starts talking about how we can live lives of faith. Verse 1. Therefore, therefore, that connects 
chapter 12 or chapter 11 and chapter 12. Therefore, based on what we see in chapter 11, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, notice that, let us, it's a decision and an action we must all embrace. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, let us look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Then verse 3, for consider him, Jesus, Consider Jesus who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. These three verses really talk about the responsibility that each of us carry in leading our own lives. I'm responsible for my life, you're responsible for yours. But as we start talking about these three things that are mentioned in these verses, I have to begin by saying all of us have a responsibility to respond to God. That's what faith is. Faith is my response to what God says about my situation. So responsibility will produce a response back towards God. And here's the three things. Number one, the writer of Hebrews says, let us lay aside every unnecessary weight. Let us lay aside every unnecessary weight. Now, I think the best way to really make this clear today is to stop and picture an athlete who's running in a race. Can you imagine trying to run a race while carrying 20-pound dumbbells in each hand? I mean, for a few minutes, some of you will get a short distance, but after a while, it begins to weight you down. After a while, it begins to affect your endurance and what you're trying to accomplish. And eventually, you'll probably give up because the weight on your arms and shoulders becomes too much with which you can run. And the writer of Hebrews says, if we're going to follow God, we have to learn to lay aside things that are unnecessary in our lives with God. Every one of us carries things in life that are sometimes unnecessary. You know, one of the things I've learned about growing up, how many of you, like me, are still growing up and maturing? One, two, come on, what about the rest of you? Some of you, some of you have already reached the goal, I know, but some of us are still working on it. One aspect of maturity is learning what is necessary in life and what is an unnecessary weight in life i remember when i was a young man started a family had children boy did life change and boy were there a lot of things that i had to lay aside that used to be important to me that were no longer important because i had new responsibilities and it's the same when we walk with god and i, I remember years ago i was out in a lake fishing with with a friend 
And we'd borrowed this boat. We're out there, you know, bass fishing and working, working the, the jigs and the lures around the logs and so forth. And weren't really paying attention. And all of a sudden we looked down and realized the boat is filling up with water. What do you do when the boat starts filling up with water? Well, the first thing I started doing was looking for stuff we could throw overboard. You know, before we get to that place in life, we need to live as believers, making sure we're not carrying things we don't need to be carrying. Making sure things that are inappropriate to our faith, inappropriate to our walk with God, making sure we're casting those things and laying them aside, getting them out of the way so it doesn't weight us down to keep us from running the race God has called us to run. Because anything that weakens my faith is unnecessary. And it must be cast off. It must be put away. But here's the deal. That's my responsibility. You know, I I think some of us have this foggy imagination. Well, you know, God's just going to do whatever God's going to do. And we have no word, no saying in any of it. I don't know what God's going to do in my life. You just never know about God. You know how he is. He does what he wants to do. You know what? We need to take responsibility for our lives and our walk of faith. Nobody can walk your walk of faith. Nobody can walk mine. But I need to take responsibility and ask myself the question, am I carrying things that are interfering with my walk with God? If so, I need to lay those things aside. But in the same verse, the writer of Hebrews said, not only do we need to lay aside weights, we need to set aside the sin which so easily besets us. The sin which causes me to stop running and just stand around and watch. Now, think about this. He's just finished writing Hebrews 11, heroes of faith. The next thing he says is, there is a sin which stops our progress in God. There's a sin which stops our growth. There's a sin which will neutralize us and put us in a place where we're no longer moving forward with God. I believe that sin is doubt. It's not trusting God fully. And so he said, lay aside weights, but lay aside the doubt. The things that come against our faith and corrode and eat away at our faith. We need to throw those things aside and leave them behind. You know, when you look back and read the the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, you see all those names and think about what they did. They never gave in to doubt. Oh, they had moments of question. They had moments when they had doubts. There were moments when they said, what am I going to do now? Can I trust God? Do I move forward? But when they came to those junctions, they always chose to trust God and keep going forward and leave behind the things that needed to be left behind. And We need to learn that lesson in life. So let's leave behind the things that need to be left. So ask yourself the question, is there anything Or are there things in my life that are taking up too much time and energy and strength that need to be left behind? If so, leave it behind today. Number two, the second instruction he gives us here, he says, let us, let us run with endurance our own personal race. When I think about the race that God has called us to run, I always think about the big picture of life. And whenever I teach on purpose and I teach on the big picture of life, I always use this illustration. Your life, my life, life is not a portrait or a snapshot. 
Life is a mural. It's scene after scene after scene after scene. And our lives should not be defined by just one scene. Our lives shouldn't be defined by one day, one week, one month, one year, one season. But our lives need to be defined by the full, complete work of a lifespan, not just one snapshot in life. Now, let me illustrate that to you. If I were to pull 10 people out of the audience today and say, when you think of Jesus, what do you think of? I might get 10 different answers. Because one would say, the cross. One would say, the empty tomb. One would say, the ascension back to the Father. One would say, the virgin birth. One would say, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the healings. Everybody might have an own, their own picture of who Jesus was and what Jesus is. But to understand Jesus, you need to see the full picture of his life. Scene after scene after scene. And some of us allow the enemy to take one scene of failure from our lives and use that scene to establish our future and make us think that every succeeding scene is going to be like that scene of failure. He causes us to believe what is going to carry this unbelief. I'm going to carry this pain because every tomorrow is going to be like my painful yesterday. And all along, God's word is trying to convince us that we cannot give up on our faith. We cannot stop trusting God because God has better plans for us than we have for ourselves. We need to keep walking with God and trusting God. That's his plan for us. And here's the point. Life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's not a sprint. It's not what you do the first 30 seconds. It's what happens over the long haul that matters. We've all watched track meets, whether it's the Olympics or whether it's collegiate track or high school track. And it seems when you watch these long-range sprinters, these guys who run miles and miles and miles and miles and miles, when you watch these guys in the race... Almost always, there's some guy who takes off ahead of the pack and he just gets 10, 20, 30 yards ahead of everybody. He just goes, goes, goes. He's going so fast. And for the first few laps, he's way out in front of everybody. But this sprinter starts using up all of his strength and all of his oxygen. And his body can only run so fast for so long. And when they get towards the end of the race, there's always guys who've been laying back in the pack just jogging along and all of a sudden when it gets to the end they kick it in gear and they got the energy and the strength to kick kick it into a whole different speed and kick that new gear up catch that guy from behind pass him and then win the race and i think some of us get into life and we think man man i'm i'm just gonna run 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 i'm gonna go 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 and we miss the point it's not about the sprint it's about the long run it's about the marathon life is a marathon not a sprint And the writer here in Hebrew says we need to run it with, one version says patience. The actual word is with endurance. We need to endure the marathon, not run a sprint and wear ourselves out. We need to trust God and just stay in the race, running our race at our pace. Now, have you ever tried to run a a mile? How many of you... How many of you are not runners? Okay, good. You see my hands up. Have you ever tried to run a mile? Just, I just I'm going to run a mile today. I've done that. And about 150 yards into the race, I changed my mind. 
because I'm, I'm not trained for it, for one thing. But it's usually because I start running too fast. I'm like, oh, I can do this for a mile. It's only 5,280 feet. I can do that. I can do that. You know, it's only like, you know, 1,200 strides. I can do that. 1,500 strides, whatever. I, I can do that until I start running. Because if you sprint, you wear yourself out. Now, when I was preparing this last night, I really felt like God spoke a couple things really clearly that I need to get across today. Somebody needs to hear this. Somebody here in the house, God is telling you today, you need to slow down. I can't slow down. Yeah, God says you need to slow down because you are sprinting and you're going to wear yourself out. You need to understand there's a race he wants you to run. You don't have to run it 90 miles an hour. Slow down and run it at a pace where you can continue to run day after day after day, which means this in the spiritual sense. If this race is one of endurance, patient, cheerful endurance, some of us, we need to be a little more patient with ourselves. Somebody say, oh me. Some of us need to be a little more patient with ourselves and stop being so hard on ourselves. I remember years ago, I was sitting in a church service. This person was ministering. The person was, was praying for people and just happened to walk by me and stopped and looked at me and just said, perfection only one guy ever obtained it you need to quit being so hard on yourself let me tell you something some of us need to be a little more patient with ourselves then the flip side of that some of us need to be a little bit more patient with god just because he's not working on your time frame slow down slow down cheerful endurance run the marathon slow down to a manageable speed and let god And then the last part of this, before I go to number three. I need to run my race, not somebody else's. You can't run my race. Some of you, you need to be thankful you don't have to run my race. And I promise you, I am so happy that I don't have to run yours. It's not my responsibility to run yours. It's not your responsibility to run mine. I need to run my race and be who God wants me to be. You need to be you. You need to be you. Stop trying to be Mr. Wonderful or Miss Perfect. You need to be you. And let God work in your life one day at a time. Then number three, the third thing. The writer, Hebrews 12, says, in all of this, let us look to Jesus. Let us keep looking to his example and learn lessons from the life of Jesus. And it goes on to say that Jesus is the author and finisher of faith. One translation that we read said he's the originator of and the perfecter of faith. Now, in, in your Bible, if you have your Bible open there or you're looking on tablet or, or your phone, it, it might very well say in that verse, he's the author and finisher of our faith. But the word our 
is in italics, which means that the translators inserted that word for clarity. What that verse literally says is Jesus is the author and finisher of faith, period, all faith. He's the creator, the author of it, the originator of it. And he also perfects it, which means he matures it, he completes it. So it says, as I start this journey of faith with God, I need to look at the example Jesus left me so I can draw from his faith and I can learn from his faith. And I love the example that it gives us, the way it cites it. It says, looking at Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and because he finished his course, he is now sat down at the right hand of God forever, victorious. Now, when you think about that, it makes us stop and realize that there are some lessons I can learn from Jesus. What, what does real faith do when it's challenged? When your faith is challenged, you look at what lies at the end of race, and then you realize it's worth the struggle to keep running. Jesus, for the joy set before him, knowing what was going to happen as a result of the cross, he was willing to go to the cross and die a horrible, shameful death to liberate brothers and sisters into the kingdom of God. He kept looking at the end, and because he could see the end, he knew the journey is worth it. I think sometimes we get in the middle of trials, we get in the middle of challenges, and we think, oh, this is so difficult, it's so hard, I, I just don't want to go on anymore. You know what, I've been there. I've been there. But what do you do? Follow Jesus' example. Stop and remember, when I get to the end of this journey, it's going to be so much better than it's ever been before that I need to trust God and just keep running. Jesus endured. You know, I say this from time to time. We need to be eternity-minded people. We need to live with eternity in mind because sometimes we get so caught up in the shortness of life and the shortness of the challenges of life that all we can see is this one little day and this one little week and this one little season and we fail to understand that eternity is so great it cannot be measured by time. It has no beginning, it has no end and yet we get stuck in this three-day trial and think we'll never get out and we're ready to give up. We got to consider what Jesus did. Look to the end, and when you see eternity is at the end of this road, it makes every challenge that we face worthwhile. We got to learn to live with that in mind. Let us look to Jesus. Let us look to Jesus. You know, when I think about this story, I always think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to go to the cross. He knows death awaits him. He's about to be crucified. He knows that. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And yet he has to determine in his own heart, what am I going to do? So the same night he's about to be taken away by the soldiers, he goes to the garden to pray. He takes his disciples and calls Peter, James, and John, his closest friends, and said, come pray with me. And they go to sleep. He's left alone. He prays the prayer, Father, if it's possible, let this cup, let this death, let this ending pass from me. 
But if not, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You see, Jesus wasn't caught by surprise at what was about to happen to him. He knew the soldiers were coming. Read the scriptures. He knew it. He knew the kind of death he was about to die. Scripture tells us that the, the, the emotional weight he carried was so great that his sweat began to ooze blood out of the pores of his skin. Under so much pressure, blood began to run down his face, even before he would go to the cross. And yet he rose up and said, Father, I'll do what you want me to do because I know what lies at the end of this journey. We need to learn from that example. And if you go back and read the verses we read earlier, verse 3, it tells us that what happens if I ignore these three instructions? What happens if I forsake them and just do life my own way? What it says is our soulish man, my mind, my will, my emotions will become weary and discouraged. If I ignore the example of Christ, if I don't keep things in proper perspective, I get weary, I get discouraged, and I want to give up. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul wrote about some specific men, and I won't mention their names because it doesn't matter. But he said, these people have shipwrecked their faith because they didn't walk correctly with God. A shipwreck's when a boat hits a big, huge rock or an iceberg and it splits the ship apart and everything is sunk and lost. Paul said these guys did that with their faith because they didn't follow the instructions of God. Then the last part of this message, one little concluding part. I'm not going to take time to read the verses out of Hebrews 12, but beginning at verse 5, I think it's down through verse 11, Paul talks about God's involvement in all of this. Have you ever wondered what God's doing in the midst of all of our challenges? I think he's probably doing a lot more than we recognize. But Paul wrote in his letters, we see it all the way back in the Old Testament. We see it through the teachings of Jesus. Over and over again, we're taught about the discipline of our Father. About he wants to teach us discipline. He wants to correct us. He wants to instruct us. And the writer of Hebrews begins to write about that in these verses. And like I said, I'm not going to read the verses. There's a lot to it. But, but I do want to do one thing. In Proverbs chapter 3, Solomon wrote about the instruction, the correction of the Lord. And it's quoted here in Hebrews 12 in these verses. But I want to read it to you out of Proverbs 3 because it's real clear and it's interpreted just a little bit differently, translated differently in, in Hebrews. But here's what Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12 tell us. My son, do not despise or reject the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Now, I'm almost finished. So I want you to stay with me through this last part. When I'm going through trials, what in the world is God doing? When I don't see his hand working, what is he doing? You know, I, I think when we talk about the discipline and the correction of the Lord, 
I think most of us get this negative picture. We picture God taking us to the, to the chastisement closet and you know, pulling out our whip and beating us or he pulls off his belt and he spanks us in anger because he's mad at us. And that's not the point of these scriptures at all. Not at all. We misunderstand it. In all of this, it's a picture of a loving father trying to teach his children his ways so they can have a blessed life. And literally, if you go back and read this, It's a father saying, son, daughter, I don't want you to struggle and I don't want you to deal with all the mistakes. I don't want you to go the wrong route and learn these lessons the hard way and have all this pain. I want to be with you, so I need to teach you how to navigate these challenges of life. In other words, our challenges in life indeed are a learning process. It's a time for us to learn the ways of the father. And Solomon said it, it's quoted here in Hebrews 12. Do not, don't reject, don't cast off God's instruction. When he's trying to teach us to be disciplined, don't reject it. When he's showing us we're going the wrong way, don't get upset and turn a deaf ear to him because he's simply trying to get us back on the correct path. Why does a loving father correct his children? Why do you correct your children? Why do you discipline your children? Why do you teach them to do their homework? Why do you teach them to be responsible in life? Because you want them to live good, fulfilled lives. And God the Father is doing the same thing in our lives. Sometimes we wonder, God, where are you? God says, I'm watching. I'm right here at your side. But you need to learn how to navigate the challenges of life. And here's how you do it. Ultimately, ultimately, God instructs. He disciplines, he corrects us because we're his children and he's trying to teach us his ways. All of us have probably had parents who at some time in our lives disciplined us in anger and it hurt. A lot of us have been parents who disciplined our children in anger and we hurt them. God does not discipline and correct to hurt us. He disciplines and corrects and instructs us for our own good and our own benefit. To make our paths right. If our paths are right, the end of the path is blessed. You know, God's path isn't always the easiest, but it's always the best. There are a lot of times in my life When God speaks correction and discipline and instruction to me. A lot of times it's when I'm sitting with my Bible, reading, just reading through it. When all of a sudden the Spirit of God will take something I read and just kind of stick it in me and say, how do you you compare to that? And I realize I I need some help there. I need to grow there. I need to make some adjustments there. Sometimes it's a situation that I get in. In the middle of a situation, I I just feel so uneasy. And I realize my response here is not good. Sometimes it's a friend, a brother, a sister, somebody close to me who just shares something. And I realize, wow, that's a word of correction that I need to hear. That's a discipline that needs to be in my life. But here's the thing. When God speaks correction, just like your children, 
I can accept it and apply it or I can reject it and go my own way and suffer the consequences. It's my responsibility. And finally, Hebrews 12, verse 11, I, at the conclusion of this teaching, here's what he says. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Last thought. You know, I think a lot of our challenges in life are much more clear when we picture it the way we picture our educational system. You enter into a challenge in life, what do you do? You go through the curriculum, you take the course, and at the end of the course, you take the test. If you pass the test, you go on to the next course. If you fail the test, you go back and take the class over. I heard a guy one time say that he was the most popular kid in the sixth grade three straight years. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy. I want to take the course. I want to get my teaching and my instruction. I want to pass the test so I can grow and go on what's next in God that's how we grow spiritually you know through the years I've met people who got stuck they got stuck in the sixth grade they couldn't understand why they couldn't get to the seventh grade and the eighth grade and the ninth grade it's because they got stuck in a test and refused to learn the lesson from it let me tell you something if we don't learn the instruction of the Lord it bottles up our progress in life and in God God instructs us for our own benefit. So in closing today, I want to ask you, am I, ask yourself, am I taking responsibility for my faith and my walk with God? Or am I just standing on the sidelines watching? Am I laying aside every unnecessary weight? Am I laying aside doubt, distrust for God? Am I running my race with endurance, being what God wants me to be? And am I looking to Jesus for my instruction? I want to pray for you today. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. We'll be finished here in just a couple of minutes, but I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you today for every person hearing this in the building, online, those who will listen to it later via some other curriculum. Father, I ask you today to take this word and examine our hearts and help us to see what you see. God, as we ask ourselves questions today, as we look at our own lives, I believe you're speaking to people all over this room. Now, Father, we need to be responsible and respond to you correctly and make adjustments in our lives because it will promote blessing and growth in our lives. Father, I'm praying for anyone who might be discouraged and weary today for whatever reasons. God, I ask that your spirit would come in and just lift them up and encourage them and help them determine to get in line and take their next, next steps of faith and continue to move forward in you. Father, I ask in Jesus' name you would encourage us with this word today. We're your sons and daughters. We're your children. We receive your instruction and your discipline and your correction today in Jesus' name. While heads are still bowed for one more minute, 
Maybe you're here today. Maybe you've listened to this and you thought, you know, this doesn't really apply to me because I'm, I'm not walking with God. But maybe as you've listened to this, your heart, you just feel something nudging your heart. And deep down inside, you realize this is the truth and, and I need this in my life. I need God's help. Maybe you've come to a place today where not only you realize you need God's help, but you want God's help. That's the Spirit of God knocking on the door of your heart. And He wants you to begin this journey of faith. He wants you to begin to trust Him and walk with Him and let Him be your Father. He needs you to say, yes, yes, God, I want you in my life. We do that with words. We call it prayer, but it's just talking to God. So today, I, I want to lead you in a prayer. Whether you're here in the building, you're watching online, I want to lead you in a prayer that will give you an opportunity to open your heart to God and let God start working in your life. And I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me right out loud. You don't need to yell it and scream it. But I'm going to ask everybody here, if you put your faith in Jesus today, pray this prayer with me. Say, God, I need you. And I open my heart to you. I surrender my life. I ask you to become my Lord. I accept Jesus as my Savior. I choose Jesus to become the Lord of my life. From this moment forward, I ask you to be my father and I'll be your child. Teach me your ways and I will follow you. You're now my father and I receive your love. Thank you for loving me. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or maybe you've been the prodigal on the run, it's the most important prayer you can pray in your entire life. But it's not the end of the journey. It's just the beginning of this relationship with God. We want to help you build relationship with God. That's why we exist. Got a little booklet called The Next Seven Days. It's a free gift I'd love to give you today. It'll help you understand a lot about God and His plans for your life. How to build this relationship. I want to give it to you. When service is over, there'll be a prayer team on each side of the building. You can walk up to these prayer teams and say, Can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you right there. No strings attached. If you've got questions, you want prayer for something else, they'll help you. If you just want to get it and go, that's fine. We want to help you get started walking with God. If you're here and you do need prayer for something else in your life, these prayer teams will pray with you. They'll pray prayers of faith. And I promise you, God is answering prayer. We hear constant stories of what God is doing through prayer teams in people's lives. So let these folks pray with you today if you have a need. But if you're in a really big rush today and you want to get one of these books out in the middle of the lobby, center of the glass doors where you exit there's a counter set up there with a sign overhead you'll see the screen stop by there ask for the booklet we'll give it to you again no strings attached we simply want to help you get started walking with god would you join me today and put your hands together let's welcome new believers into god's family god bless you today welcome to the family we're so glad you've chosen to accept christ today start this journey with god now just before we go, we've got water baptisms planned. We're going to start just in a few minutes out in the lobby to the left. We're going to conclude our service. We, we always like to conclude with worshiping God with our giving. You know, on the screen, you'll see three different ways you can give. I just want to say thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving. If you want to give a physical gift in the house today, as you exit these doors of the auditorium on each side... There's a giving station right there. There's also one out by the children's check-in area on the counter there. Thank you for your giving. However you choose to give, 
And you know, I, I always say thank you for your giving, but, but ultimately it's God who blesses you for your giving. We're faithful to God. We worship Him out of obedience and out of honor. God's promised to bless our lives with His blessing every single day. I want to say thank you. Uh, one last little nugget. Last Sunday I, I presented an opportunity for us to be a blessing to refugees in the Ukraine through a ministry we're involved with. I want to say thank you for your giving the last week in that. I promise you every penny of that will bless people who are greatly in need. So thank you so very much. I am so proud to be leading a church of people who are faithful to God with their giving. So thank you so much. And God bless you today. Now, last of all, yeah, give yourselves a hand. I mean, you, you are a great bunch of givers. It, it's amazing. It's amazing to me just how faithful you are, how generous you are. Now, let me give you some last-minute instructions. As we go out today to be, to be baptizing people, it'll start five to ten minutes. We'll get everybody in place. If you've got family members who are going to be baptized, go ahead and come up. We'll give you instructions there so you can get pictures and so forth. Hey, this is a great, great time. I love watching these people being baptized. And uh, it, it's going to be a great day for the next several minutes here at the bridge. So as many of you who can stay, stay and join us. Join in the celebration. Finally, today we want you to know we love you. We appreciate you so very much. We want you to have a great day and a great week. And we'll see you next Sunday. God bless you.